This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Morning, ladies. We're going to try this mic again for the Tuesday night and the Thursday morning, ladies. Um, they didn't have as much room noise with this mic, so we're going to give it a go again. Um, so just those of you in the back, if you're having a hard time hearing me, don't hesitate to wave a little hand or something so that I, as a reminder, to speak into the mic and lean forward and all that good stuff. So, But good morning. Lovely to see you all, Tuesday night, ladies. Welcome, and Thursday morning, ladies. Good morning. A very early morning to you. We are in week five of our Armor of God study. We're Shield of Faith this week, and I don't know about you, but I've just loved this study, just diving into it, the scriptures that have been coming with it, um, just loved every minute of it, so I hope you are also enjoying it. I'm going to just start with scripture this morning and take it from there. So Ephesians 6.16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. One verse, that's how it started. I know I always get overwhelmed when we have a lot of scripture to cover. And um, it was interesting because I found just even with this one verse this last couple weeks, delving into it, almost each word or each chunk of phrases within it Um, just rich in its meaning and its purpose and its intent. So I thought we'd kind of dissect it together a little bit. So it starts out with, in addition to all this. So if we go back over the last couple weeks, we talked about prayer being the way to activate our armor. We talked about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and then last week Alyssa took us through the shoes of peace. Paul's making a note here. He doesn't want us to forget what came before these next pieces of armor. So he's drawing our attention to that. We have to remember to put on these pieces and what they're worth and their purpose is. The next part, taking up the shield of faith. There's a shift here in this chunk of scripture We've gone from put on to take up. And so these next pieces of armor, we are to actually, there's an action involved with taking it up, and there's something we're supposed to do with it. A forward action, movement. Shield, we're taking up our shield. I could go on and on about the Roman shields. Alyssa talked about it a lot in our first week, and we've touched on it since then. But the the description of these shields, our author did the same kind of description. She took us through two feet wide, four feet long in some cases, made of wood, shaped like a door. These are not small shields. They're good size. Coated with canvas and leather in order to guard and keep being able to take blows. The center made of iron along the edges oftentimes as well the iron was there they would often dip them into water in order to extinguish the arrows coming from their enemies as those enemy as those arrows came in and hit their shields the arrows are extinguished and every time that happened i would imagine that the soldiers their confidence grew 
in their protection. They grew in their faith in what that shield would do for them. They had confidence in knowing that they'd been protected. The shields could absorb, again, those heavy blows from someone else's sword. Their enemies would swing and strike, but those, those shields would absorb that instead of their bodies taking it. The shields could also be used as a weapon. They could allow the soldiers to advance almost as a wall, as a full front. They could advance and push forward, push their enemy back. They could swing their shield. Well, I don't know how massive strength they must have had, but they could use those shields to strike a blow as well. And I would imagine when you see, when you use that shield and you see that enemy fall, again, their confidence just must have grown. I have this weapon. It worked. I knocked my enemy down. I can keep moving forward. So I would imagine that it, it energized them to see the output of what that shield could do. So take up the shield of faith. So we're to the part, the main part of our scripture, faith. What is faith? In our study, we explore the difference between belief and faith. And I don't know about you, when I sat and kind of just meditated on that and resisted going to good old Webster Dictionary, I kind of came to belief as the acceptance of truth. It's accepting and believing something to be true. For us as believers in Christ, we believe the truth of who God is, of his power, of his might, of his love for us, his word, his promises. Faith is the reliance on God, and it's the action that demonstrates our belief in him. So our faith is the action, and Priscilla Shire went in and delved into that in a great amount this week, that our faith is our action that shows our belief in God. Priscilla pointed out that our faith, it ties to our perception of our God. She gave an example of a chair. And so when you look at a chair and you are evaluating, you have a perception of how strong that chair is. Is it of tiny wooden legs? Is it a stool? Are one of the legs broken? Does the back seem sturdy? Will it hold me? How long will it hold me? Will it not? Will that leg give out and I'll fall? And that's embarrassing. So we're constantly evaluating. So she used that, and I thought that was a good example. That per, what is our perception of that chair? Will it hold me? So it's the same thing with our belief in God then ties to what, so our perception of him ties to our faith in him. She made sure to point out the difference between faith and foolishness. She says, a wise woman will, see sound, will seek sound direction, clarity, and confirmation before moving forward so that she is not making impulsive or even foolish decisions. When we feel God is directing us and directing us to act, to have some movement, to do his work, we need to stop and pause and ask, is this of God? Does scripture back it up? Is it truth? Is it unifying? Is it to build my brother or sister up? To build my church up? 
Is it what I want or is it what God wants? We need to ask for the guidance of others. And we need to ask those not necessarily who will just agree with us, but those that will challenge us and ask us questions and help us to dive deeper into what God might be saying. So it's that ironing, sharpening iron. And so using our fellowship community to help us know that what we're hearing is from God, it's not Satan using our own emotions and feelings and those things that he can distract and sway. And so we're here for one another in that way. So in our verse, we're through in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The main goal of taking up our shield is to extinguish those arrows of Satan. He's trying to distract us with those arrows. Do you remember all those strategies from that first, that digging deeper number two, all those ways that Satan gets at us? Those are what he's using, those are his arrows. We need to remember, okay, what is he using of me? What is he using against me? So those are good reminders, and that's what he's using to distract us from doing his work. I imagine when I think about taking up the shield, <laughs> it's silly, but I thought of that moment. If you've seen The Matrix, that movie, um, there's a, mo a moment in it, and he there's bullets, like, I don't know, hundreds of bullets coming at him and he just stops he raises his hand he knows it's not real he knows it's not true and he knows he can stop it and as silly as it is that's what our shield can do though we can raise our shield we take it up and it's God's strength it's that helps us do that and we can stop those bullets we can stop those flaming arrows that Satan is trying to distract us with in James 2.20, he writes, faith without deeds is useless. In some translations, it was faith without deeds is dead. If we go to Hebrews 11, which our study took us to, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So, we went through, and I really wanted to just read through Hebrews 11, and I encourage you to do that in your groups because it's amazing to really sit and go through those scriptures if you didn't have time this week. And I'm trying just to be cognizant of the time for Tuesday night and Thursday. But there's a whole list of people who had faith with works. They took their faith and made it active because of their belief in our God. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, us having gone through Genesis, if you were here with us in the fall, it completely set us up to have a full understanding of all that these people, the faith that these people showed. From Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, goes down to Joseph. If we continue through the Old Testament, Moses, the walls of Jericho fell because of faith. Rahab, Gideon, there were even a few names I didn't know and I had to stop and go look up. Samson, David, Samuel, the list can go on. I thought of Esther who stands up for her people in a situation where death was literally could have been the consequence. 
Romans 8, 24, 25 says that, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That was something else that the people in this hall of faith that they showed, they were waiting, they were willing to wait, wait for God's timing, be patient in the work that he was doing in them, in their community, and that's hard, but that's part of us taking up our shield of faith is showing that we believe God and believe in his timing and his ways of doing things. There were a few other references that um, Priscilla Shire mentioned and then that I thought of. Luke 5, when Peter's fishing, they've been out all night no fish. These are experienced fishermen. They knew what they were doing, and they had no yield of all their efforts. Yet God tells them, go out. Not go out in the shallow waters where they usually fish. Go out to the deep waters. Put your nets down. There's no logic. There's nothing that they can see. What they've actually seen is no fish. So what they've seen actually is counterintuitive to what God is saying. But they do. Peter goes out. He lets down his nets. And then what, is, what happens? It's just fish and fish and fish and fish. What's interesting, too, that actually our author mentioned in the video that I thought was a very cool insight, God didn't even have to have Peter put the nets down. He could have just said, fish, get in the boat. Literally, and I think there's a funny commercial that that happens, but that's what God can do. That's the power that he has, but he gave Peter that opportunity. No, I'm using this as an opportunity for you to learn how faithful I am as your God. And so he asked Peter, put down your nets, and that gave that opportunity for them to see what trusting in him can do. I think of when Peter walked on water same kind of he had that faith he was looking at Jesus he had sight of him and he could do what we would think is impossible and then as soon as that faith wavered as soon as he faltered in that he started to sink and yet even though he did Jesus swoops him up and pulls him back into the boat so even when we falter God will be there and he will help us take up our shield again in Daniel 3, it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I went back and I read the scripture around that. And something caught my eye this time that hadn't before. They literally spoke of, they say, our God is able to deliver us. He can save us from those fires if it be his will. If it's not, he could raise us from the dead. And if not, we still will not worship this golden idol that you have made. So their belief in God was such that they were able to trust, and their action of faith was not bowing down, even when facing death. And beyond that, what amazed me, what I caught this time, is that not only did they believe that he could save them from the fires, but that if he didn't, he could raise them from the dead. And if he didn't, then that is his will. So it's just trust throughout any of those options. And that to me is amazing. I am 
not yet there in my action of faith. What I didn't see in those three and any of these ones that were listed in the Hall of Faith was fear. They didn't give in to fear. They moved and went where God called them to despite the fact that they had to, it had to have been in the back of their minds. Priscilla noted that fear is one of the enemy's most useful deterrents to faith-filled living. Fear will make us drop our shield and turn away. That that was a very powerful statement that really stood out to me. Over the winter break, um, I stumbled across a book when I was looking for a gift for my mother-in-law. And it's uh, still waters and skyscrapers, but it takes you through Psalm 23. There's literally a chapter for each line of the psalm. And so it offers some meditation on the scripture and just some deeper insight. And so, of course, um, one of the lines in that is, I will fear no evil. And so I came back to that that idea of if fear is one of his most useful deterrents, then I need to pay attention to what my fear is. The book talks about fear and panic can skew our sense of reality, and it creates isolation and alienation. So our fear can make us draw inward, which is the opposite of what we need to do when we're feeling fearful. We need to go to each other. We need to come to each other with our fear. We need to come to the feet of God with our fears. So then when we're isolated and alienated, we don't have that connection with God and with each other. So I want to read just a paragraph from this that described fear in a very clear way. Fear is a devastating and destructive emotion. Fear paralyzes the mind. Fear crushes creativity. Fear causes mistrust in relationships. Fear isolates, causes anxiety. Fear damages health. Fear limits the possibilities. Fear cripples the mind and the imagination. It prohibits adventure. Fear creates panic. Fear prevents decisions being made. Fear puts life on hold. That's what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to keep us stuck and not moving forward for God's glory. I recognize just how true this was and how crippling fear is, at least for me in my life. I started thinking, what drives my fear? What we ultimately fear is death, and not necessarily that big capital D death of here, life here on earth, but the little deaths, deaths of a relationship, deaths of a job, of a home that we've created and been in for years, of a place, of a community that we have to leave, Um, maybe the end of a ministry or a project. So there's all these little Ds, these little deaths that happen, and we fear those. Could be a fear of change, fear of the unknown. And so for me, I realized I'm okay with change, but not when there's an unknown on the end of it. So I welcome change when I know what the change is, when it will happen, who it will happen with, and I could go on and on and on. So I have criteria for accepting change, which, again, my fear is driving that. Um, And ultimately, 
fear of failure is the other piece that holds me still and keeps me from moving is I don't want to fail. What will that look like? What will others think? And then all of those words of Satan that aren't of God start creeping in. But that's fear. And so in recognizing that, I thought, okay, I can take hold of that. I know what that is. And I can help Satan to not use that against me. So sometimes just sitting and reflecting on what, what kind of fear is it that keeps you stuck can help us then recognize it, use our shield to extinguish it, and press forward. There is a cool little other part in here that refers to Jesus. So one of the things Jesus said most commonly throughout his ministry was, do not fear, do not be afraid. He was acutely aware of what fear does to people. Jesus knew that it destroys faith and stalls the process of people hearing God or receiving from God. It distorts our whole understanding of God and of ourselves. And so that is just what took me on that little journey of what my faith is rooted in and why and what God calls me to do with that. Not only did Jesus tell people in his ministry not to be afraid, but Priscilla pointed out more than 300 times in scripture, God also tells us to not be afraid. So our Father in heaven, time and time again, is telling us, do not be afraid. She went on to remind us that wherever there is fear, you can be assured that who is nearby? It's Satan. Where there is fear, Satan is there. But God is also there, and he far outranks Satan in every way, outranks him in knowledge and wisdom and strength and power and authority. God is there. We are not alone. Psalm 23 begins with, the Lord is my shepherd. It continues on to reassure us that he is leading us through good things, through rest, through green pastures through still waters. It ends with the truth that we believers will dwell in his house forever. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. Remember a few weeks ago, Mary spoke the truth to us that worry and prayer cannot exist in the same place. Neither can fear and trust. So if we're trusting, we won't need to be fearful. That fear can go away if we humble ourselves before our God in prayer and ask him, take this fear away. If we give that to him, trust replaces that fear. When we pray, our lives, they're reoriented to God. So whatever was distracting us, prayer brings us right back to him. We're we're not alone. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's fully present with us all the time. We're called to pray our fear over to him. Faith is our willingness to put action to our belief in God. 
and his promises. We've been given the gift of his truths, of who he is, his character, and can raise our shield because of that truth. We can stand firm in the knowledge of his faithfulness. I love how Priscilla Shire brought that in. Faithful, but God is faithful. He's full of showing us how much he loves us and how he cares and protects us. We can look back and see how God has shown that in our life. I know I've got oodles and oodles of times that I can look back and see how God was present, how he was moving, how he was protecting me. We've been given a spirit of power, love, and of sound mind, and therefore have no one, nothing to fear, not even Satan. Remember, we are not alone. God is with us. Where I'd like to end today is with this thought. Not only is God with us, but he has given us the blessing of one another. That's why part of why we're here, to learn and grow deeper with him, but also with each other. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Our community, this community of believers, is truly a gift, ladies. Think back to that turtle formation that Alyssa talked about, that Priscilla talked about. All the soldiers raising their shields together, side by side. The shields were built in a way that they connect together so that no arrows from the enemy can penetrate. They can't get through. When I think about that, and then I picture all of you, and so I trade those soldiers' faces for yours. You've got a sister on your left, a sister on your right. We've got each one in front and one who's got our back. We're given this gift. So now when you picture that big tortoise shell of shields, can you picture us? Put our faces there. We're there together holding our shields up, having that impenetrable barrier against Satan. We can take our shields up together. We can defend. We can, those arrows extinguish. They hit and fall away, causing no danger. We can withstand those blows from Satan. And in our formation, we can give Satan an imp- an, a blow that knocks him down. While we have this formation of a unit, the ability to take up for each of us to take our shields, there is the reality that one of us is going to let our our shields drop. It's just our human nature. It's who we are. Our belief, our faith, our trust wavers, and that shield drops. What's so cool, though, is that my sister there on the right is there to bring her shield over me and protect me 
and be there with me under that shield together until I am able to once again pull that shield up. Some of you, your shields are built in prayer. When I look around the room, there are several of you that are prayer warriors. And so I know when my shield falls, your prayers are going to give me the strength to pick up my shield. Others of you are amazing encouragers. So your shield is held up by the words of encouragement from scripture, from your heart that God has laid on you to give to me in those moments. And then others of you know scripture like I can't even imagine. And so when I am listening to the truths that are of Satan and not of God, you are there to instill God's words. Your shield is covering me with God's words. And so again, when one of us falters, when I falter and my shield drops, you are all there to lift me up and to help me pull my shield back up. And then it goes on as each of us has those moments. And so oftentimes I find myself, if I'm struggling to be close with God, to be in prayer, to be in his word, I think now, okay, but I'm going to do it for my sister. So if I can't do it for me, I am willing to do those things because I want to be there. I want to help you pick your shield up when it falls. So different motivations, different times. God wants to be with us. He's there. Remember, we're not alone. But we have each other for those moments that we do falter. Paul states in Ephesians 4.16, For him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And that's what our body here is. We're there together as one unit to build each other up, to do God's work. So I will leave you with this. I am ever grateful for all of you. In 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all you have for one another is increasing. And I see that every time I'm here. And so I thank you for your faith, for your belief, and your willingness to act and take up your shield and to grow deeper with one another so that we can do work for God's kingdom. So with that, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I can't thank you enough for this study. The scripture alone is just amazing. It's your truths. It's your promises. It shows all that you've equipped us with, and I'm ever grateful for that. I thank you for everyone in this room, for those Tuesday nights, the women Thursday mornings. I can see your faces, and I'm grateful that you are all present as well. I thank you for our church. I pray for unity and peace and for us to keep moving forward as one unit to do your work. I pray for this morning, be present, be with all of us during our small group time. Help us to delve deeper into your word, into the questions that we were asked this week. I pray for openness to share and open hearts to hear. And I just pray that you bless this time. I pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Have a good morning, ladies.